0: Morning, folks. Is it still morning? Yes, morning. Morning. (laughs) Greet in the name of our precious Lord Jesus Christ. Um, It's great to be here again. I think the last time I was here was in December. So, Happy New Year, even though it's Feb to everybody. I hope that your sole goal is to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where you've been ill-equipped? So, business meetings, maybe teachers or whatever the case may be, we sometimes don't get rest and we come to a situation where we are really ill equipped and so i read a story yesterday on sky news where a bunch of youngsters went and thought they could summit ben Nevis in uh, northern scotland and uh, they they set out on their trek and they went forward to try and uh, summit this mountain and halfway through they realized that um, it was minus 20 the wind chill factor was quite quite low and so Somehow they were found by um, people, by the rescue teams. And so what happened is they they loaded these guys, they found them, and they took them back to base camp or to camp. And they realized that these guys didn't even have maps. They didn't have GPSs. They didn't have crampons. They had none of those things. They had tackies on, and they were hiking with their tackies. So that's an example of being seriously ill-equipped in a venture. But the Lord Jesus Christ, as you can see in these scriptures, gives us, and equipping. Everyone that's part of the body of Christ, everyone that's born into the body of Christ. In other words, that new birth, that new creation, as we see in John chapter 3, where Jesus is chatting to Nicodemus. That's what happens. And so we're going to look at these verses that Christian read to us in depth, (coughs) verses 11 to 16 in Ephesians 4. And then establish us in the faith. That's what those texts are for, to establish us in the faith. And if you've looked at the, the, the scripture title today, it's that we we're established in their faith equipped for the days of Noah now you might be wondering where and why have I put that in and i 'm going to show you why I think we are in the days similar to what was happening to the days before Noah had to build his ark and obviously only eight people were saved so I'll go to Genesis chapter five chapter six sorry and I 'll read it to you just to give you a bit of background on why And what was happening before Noah built his ark. Genesis 6, chapter 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11 and 12. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now, I can guarantee you, many of us are sitting here going, yeah, that, that's pretty similar to today. I can I can guarantee you that's happening in many places. And the reason why we can use that scripture for today is because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives in what is known as the Olivet Discourse. His disciples had asked him three questions. Some of them were what will be the signs of the times and what will be the coming of the age. In Genesis, In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to 39, Jesus says to his disciples, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we can see that we can relate those two texts. Jesus is talking, he's talking about the days of Noah, he knows what is going to happen. Obviously, in his omniscience, in knowing everything. And he's saying to his disciples, watch out for this, because then the time is near. But before we get started, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for guidance as we unpack these scriptures and uh, just give us the wisdom to understand. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together today, Lord. Thank you that we can each and every one of us immerse ourselves in the word. And I pray that we do. I pray that we learn today in the importance of being equipped for these end times, Lord, for the days of Noah. So be with us, Lord, and protect us. Holy Spirit, move through us. In Jesus' name I ask, Lord. Amen. Amen. Right, so Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. I'll just put this here so I've got some more space. Paul is writing and he's talking about unity in the church in this whole chapter, in chapter 4. Remember, we have chapters, uh, these were only put in place way later, so it's a continuous thought through the scriptures. But Paul comes to a section where he says that we are supposed to be united in the faith. And I'll explain just now what unity actually means and what some of us may think it means. But he starts off by saying, and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, before we get started, we have to understand that these are foundational uh, ministries and gifts for the church. Without these five gifts, we cannot have the gospel being spread into the nations and into what Paul, Barnabas, Apollos, all these guys were doing. So the gifts are as we can establish, and he himself, so he gives us those gifts. It's Jesus Christ himself. It's the Lord. He comes, he gives us those gifts. He equips us by the Spirit of God living within us. And he mentions there that to some he gave apostles. Now, Unfortunately, in today's context, every second guy is an apostle, and every second guy is a prophet. But what it simply means in the Greek, an apostle is a delegate or a messenger. One who simply is an ambassador for the gospel, and one who is sent out. So in other words, he goes out, he plants a church, looks after the church, establishes elders, and goes on and plants another church. That's what an apostle is. And today, many of the guys have apostle uh, titles, yet they haven't even planted a church, or... They might have a, an egotistic trip or a pride trip. Remember, when, when we've got the Lord, we've got the full counsel, the full revelation of the Lord, we understand what He's given us. And that gift is so that we can all work together to build up the body of Christ. There were three classes of apostles that we can sort of distinguish in the New Testament times. We had the 12 the twelve apostles. We know who they were. Bar Judas, that, uh, or Barring Judas, that obviously he killed himself because he betrayed the Lord Jesus. They cast lots and they chose Matthias. And soon after that, straight after that, the Holy Spirit fell. And so the Holy Spirit anointed everyone that was in the upper room and so that they could go and be those apostles to spread the gospel. The second lot was one man. And we all know that he wrote most of the New Testament. And his name is? Amen. Amen. So Paul was the second one. And he was an apostle to the Gentiles. His commission was purely to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Even though he went into every town and preached in the synagogue first, there were many Gentiles present there as well. And the last ones were those, like I mentioned, Barnabas, James, the Lord's brother, Apollos, Timothy, Silas, the list goes on. So we can see that these different um, people, but one designation. They were all apostles, they were delegates to go and spread the gospel of Jesus. Prophets, we come to the prophets just to understand. The Old Testament times we had prophets, and immediately when we hear the word prophet, we think someone that tells the future. Without a doubt, it's someone that tells the future. And there was only a percentage of the prophet's ministry. So let's use Isaiah as an example. Isaiah was preaching that Judah, the southern kingdom, was to repent and turn back to God. That was his main message. But within the text, he was preaching about Jesus Christ and the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's forth Right? Or foretelling, sorry. Fourth is the other designation where we preach the gospel now and we preach for people to repent and turn back to the Lord Jesus now. In his case, back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God that we serve, but obviously New Testament, Old Testament. So simply a prophet is a preacher. All of us who proclaim the Lord's name, who want people to come to repentance, to know the Son of God, they're a prophet. But we don't run around telling everyone we're prophets because there are movements that are unfortunately doing that today. One of them is known as uh, the New Apostolic Reformation. It's a restorationist movement. And what they say is that we have to install or reinstall these prophets and apostles in the seven mountain mandate. So they have to do arts and culture, um, education, music, politics. There's seven mountains that they have to conquer to put these prophets and apostles there. And then what will happen? They think the Lord Jesus will come back upon that. And that is sort of a dominionist view on on eschatology, I would say, on end times. From what I understand in the Scriptures, the Lord Jesus, no one knows the time or the hour when He will come. And that we all have a mandate, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, what is that? To go and preach the Gospel. It's as simple as that. And I think we tend to complicate things. And my question is, if the apostle, if the prophets rather in the Old Testament were preaching a message of repenting, turning back to the living God, these movements today do not teach that. They teach a different gospel. They teach a different doctrine. What we need to know is that in the times of Noah, paralleling our days today and mirroring our days, we can see that everybody needs a Savior. Not just five of us sitting here, not just seven of us. Everyone here and everyone outside of this church needs to have that hope that is in Jesus Christ. Vance Havner, I've discovered who he is. He was uh, an evangelist in the 20th century, so he was alongside not alongside Billy Graham, but he knew Billy Graham. And he says, Satan is not fighting churches. He is joining them. He does more harm by sowing tares than by pulling up wheat. He accomplishes more by imitation than by outright opposition. And how true is that today? Evangelists, immediately when I say evangelists, I know all of you thought, wow, can't be the next Billy Graham, but I'll try. And that's not exactly what the word means. The evangelist is just someone who's a herald. What a bringer of good news. What is the good news? The gospel. Exactly. That's it. It's the gospel of Jesus. That's the good news. So each and every one of us, I'm giving you a title indirectly through the scriptures that we're all evangelists. Whether we preach to 10,000 people in the stadium or a brother one-on-one, we've been given that title because the Lord Jesus wants all of us to go and proclaim his message. So if we look at the likes of Spurgeon, Tozer, Lewis Perry Schaefer, Ravenhill, Edwards, all these men were gifted with large ministries. But we all have been gifted with minor ministries too, where we can preach one-on-one and tell people the gospel and the good news and give them that hope. Obviously, then you have your pastors. Your pastors is a shepherd. So like the Lord Jesus is our good shepherd, the pastor is given a flock. And he simply is to look after that flock. He's to preach the gospel. He's to pray for them. He's to meet the people. He's to do all those things with the help of the eldership that has been given to him, that has been fasted and prayed upon to determine the will of God. Teachers simply is one who is fitted to teach. The New Testament, one who teaches concerning the things of God. This was given in Thayer's lexicon, as well as a Blue Letter Bible. It's, it's Greek and Hebrew um, commentaries. And so you can sort of see the full and enriched meaning of the words. But the most important thing for a teacher is to teach the duties of man. Now, you might be thinking, well, I know the gospel, I know the Lord Jesus, but what is the duty of man? Let me give you four out of many scriptures. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. I love this text. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Remember Solomon's writing Ecclesiastes in all his wisdom. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Micah 6 chapter, uh, Micah 6 verse 8 rather. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Mm-hmm. Now we come to Matthew twenty two thirty seven where the Pharisees are questioning Jesus and they're asking what is the greatest commandment. We all know the greatest commandment and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But interestingly, the Apostle John, writing in 1 John 2, he says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Right? Looking exactly to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, the scripture says, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. In other words, the love of God is matured in that individual. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him or to himself to walk just as he walked. So who's the one that walked? And who's the one that came to save us? That's Jesus Christ. We have to walk and try by the Holy Spirit walk just as the Lord Jesus walked. So to sum up those for the first verse is that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, preachers, and teachers will all have one task, is to preach the gospel. Yes, an apostle plants churches. Yes, a prophet gives in every now and in, in circumstances gives a bit of forthtelling, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about the proclamation of the gospel. And I was wondering if, if, if Noah was given a similar ministry before, you know, while he was building the ark and trying to warn the people around him of this, this uh, destruction that's going to come by the wrath of God. And I found that in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, Peter writes now he was a herald of righteousness. In other words, he was proclaiming righteousness by the God. That he served, and so that we know by the Holy Spirit in us, how much more do we have to proclaim the gospel, and how much more should we bring the hope to those that are lost in a dying world? So the message is the days of Noah. Remember that, and the gifts are applicable to us more so, and the prophetic word, in other words, prophecy, that is just over a, just over a third of the Bible or over a quarter of the Bible, shows us what's going to happen in the future. In the Book of Revelation, we can gather all those things together by looking at Daniel and Ezekiel and the different prophecies that were given, but it's to help us as well today realize what is coming. And that's why I say today we are paralleling or mirroring the days of Noah. These ministries set us up for the verses to follow. The true intended meaning for the scripture is what these verses were intended for. And the reason for these gifts are simple, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry is the first one, and the second one is for the edifying of the body of Christ. So to be equipped is to be perfected. As all of the saints in the body of Christ have to be perfected by the Holy Spirit's work within them. And it's simply because of ministry. So for example, all the ladies that helped bringing this together this morning, that's a part of ministry. Going to pray for people, going to um, uh, preach the gospel to uh, widows and orphans, whatever the case may be. That's all part of the ministry. And so this is what the gifts are given for. The second one is for the edifying of the body. Everything we do together edifies the Lord Jesus Christ, grows the body of Jesus Christ. So in our context now we can exactly see why we need those gifts. The equipping of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. Now verse 13 is where the unity comes in. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now many people think unity is is a one world religion we'll all come together there will just be happiness there'll be joy um, we'll just lie around and we'll all agree on what these things are and that is not true the scripture says and jesus said i've come to divide in other words the reason why i came to divide is because he is truth and the truth resides in the lord jesus and therefore we cannot have unity if we as the body of christ don't agree on who jesus is So, for example, the scripture is saying, till we come to the unity or agreement of the faith. There's only one faith. And that's our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our personal Savior. And remember, religion is fine. Religion can get us, uh, is where we sort of have to outweigh our good works, have to outweigh our bad works, and these things. But the Lord Jesus is saying, you have been saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And so we have to understand that when the Holy Spirit lives in us, Then we'll attain to the knowledge of the Son of God, where the scripture is guiding us. Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That is so important when we look at being in agreement of the faith. And that unity is also do we believe that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary? Do we believe he suffered under Pontius Pilate? Do we believe that he died, was buried, and that he's risen, and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father? Remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives a speech to the Sanhedrin, and they gnash their teeth at him, and they stone him. And he looks up into heaven, and what does he see? He sees Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. That is when we're in agreement with the faith. And we all understand who the Lord Jesus is. That knowledge is where all these gifts come together. We can all get the knowledge by someone preaching or someone teaching. But it's a simple proclamation again of the word of God. Therefore we come to an agreement of the faith through the scriptures. And I think that unity as we can understand it today in our context. Is that we have the full and final revelation of the Bible. We have the 66 books. And so it's all about sound doctrine. I firmly believe it's about doctrine because we'll see in the next verse and what Christian was mentioning earlier, people are deceived. So if you know sound doctrine, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, just before that, Peter's preaching a sermon at Pentecost. Three thousand souls are convicted. They ask Peter, what shall we do? So Peter says, repent and be baptized. It's as simple as that. But then the scripture says, what do they keep on doing? They carried on an apostle's doctrine. That's the most important part. Breaking of bread, fellowship and prayer. What an easy church model. What an easy church model. We, we tend to complicate things so much. It's so, so simple. Titus 2.1, Paul says, But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 and 17, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's how we'll then attain, as the scripture says in verse 13, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now that perfect isn't as in what we think perfection is. Only Jesus is perfect. But what we that perfect is a maturity. We'll become more mature when we know the knowledge of the Son of God. And we can have a simple measure to the stature of who he is. But the most amazing thing is in that that passage, if you've read it and if you understood it or you'll go back and read it, Look at the wisdom of the Holy Spirit here, inserting this text, warning about these false doctrines. Even though there's unity, even though we all come to agreement, we have to understand that there'll be young people in the faith, there'll be mature people in the faith, and so we have to teach according to the knowledge of the Son of God. And that's where the heart of the message comes in for me. I've really got a heart and a passion for people that might think that they're saved because they've simply been in church for 40 years, or they're going to a church that has 10,000 people going to it. Um, whatever the case may be. And that's really where I want to just focus in, in a little bit. We've laid the foundation now with the previous three verses in establishing what it means to be established in the faith. But Ephesians 4.14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now remember, when we've attained to the knowledge of the Son of God through having the correct pastors, having the correct teachers and preachers over us, Under us, alongside us, whatever the case may be, we will no longer be like children. That's exactly what the text is saying. Paul goes to Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he says to the Corinthians, you still behaving like children. I still need to give you milk. They're a very carnal church. Remember in 1 Corinthians 5, a man is caught sleeping with his father's wife. So his stepmother, we don't know if the father was dead or alive. But this is a type of thing that was happening in this church, and so they were still grounded in milk. They did not understand the knowledge. They didn't have the knowledge of the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of the Hebrews is saying this, in verses 13 to 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So it doesn't mean if we're full age, it means that we're 80 or 90, like the, that lady just turned recently. Mm-hmm. But it means that we are mature in the faith, we understand the doctrines of the Bible, we understand and have come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Because if we remain children, the warning here by the Holy Spirit and by the writing of Paul is, you'll be tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. So an analogy that I have is if there's a leaf lying on the grass here, a piece of wind picks it up and moves it across to the swimming pool, that was moved so simply and so simply we can be moved if we don't understand the doctrines of the Lord Jesus. We can be picked up and moved aside and put into a false doctrine. And this is where we come to the cults. I'm sure one of us, if I've just said the word cult, one pops into your mind most definitely. Some of us have different ones, but most of these cults came out of the Age of Enlightenment. If we look at the 19th century, um, a lot of them came out of there and they all thought that they were getting extra revelation. They all thought that they were the new um, person to to bring this new doctrine, this new idea. And remember, we already had the Bible then. We already had the full revelation of the scriptures. So where they got these ideas from, who knows? But even in our modern day context, we have New Age belief systems where it says, um, as long as you accept the Lord Jesus, that's your way to heaven. This guy can take that way to heaven. That guy can take that way to heaven. And my question would be is that the Lord Jesus then only died for certain people in the world. Whereas John 16, 316 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, not a certain select few. So we have to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way. You will not be tossed to and fro by every one of doctrine if we understand that Jesus is our foundation. We have the globalist movements as well. As I mentioned earlier, the NAR, the Word of Faith and Prosperity Gospels, those are massive. And just as a warning, um, if any of us have DSTV and you turn on to one of those great channels like TBN or something like that, please put the TV off again. Rather go and look, uh, contact a pastor, contact someone that can walk alongside you and help you because these are all prosperity teachers, they're all Word of Faith teachers. The scripture then goes on to say, By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That is exactly what these being tossed to and fro is. It's been done by the trickery of men. If Jesus said in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And there is no such thing as a false teacher. Then who was Jesus speaking about? We have to understand that in the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There's trickery all over the place. My um, better half, Kelly, did a study recently going through the New Testament trying to figure out how many books in the Bible or in the New Testament, sorry, speak about false teachers. How many books do we think speak about false teachers in the New Testament? All of them barring one. The book of Philemon. Obviously, Philemon is a book written on slavery and that. But every single book warns about false teachers. So, the trickery of mania is a word, it's a Greek word. Um, it's called, it's kabia or kabaya, one of those two. And it's only used once in the whole New Testament here. Very, very interesting. Paul says it's like playing with dice or to defraud a player. So, I think what he's trying to say here uh, is that it's so easy for us to throw a dice, that's how easily we can be deceived or defrauded from the true gospel. Mm-hmm. These trickeries lead to cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. This is where everything makes sense and I hope it will make sense to all of us. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 5 and tell me if these are not the times today. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unloving. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What does the scripture say? And from such people, turn away. Now it's very interesting, look in chapter verse 5, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That means that these, these people explained you are coming from within the fellowship. How scary is that? That is very, very concerning. Those subtle manipulations of Scripture, those blatant doctrinal heresies, like in the first century we had Gnosticism, they're all just repackaged. They're all just renamed. And the Satan, is he knows he's on his last. So he's bringing everything into the church, like I read earlier what Hans said, Vance Havner said. It's exactly that. If there's a person that says he denies the deity of Jesus... And there's a person that says he doesn't believe in the ministry of Jesus. He's in a cult. If he still believes he's a Christian, obviously if he's a non-believer, that's his problem. But that's the warning today is be careful if someone does not say that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. That is who Jesus was. It's also known as the hypostatic union. The person who is built up in the knowledge of the Son of God will withstand these false doctrines. That is what Paul is trying to say here. The days of Noah are paralleled with today. And the the thing is, is that those in the days of Noah did not think or did not believe that God would judge. They believed they could just do what they wanted to do and hopefully God would leave them alone. It's a similar feeling today. It's a similar thing I can see outside of the church and to a large extent within the church. People think that God is some big teddy bear in the sky and that he'll just forgive all of us. And that is absolutely not true because the scripture testifies to something different. Charles Spurgeon, he says this, I have not much patience with a certain class of Christian nowadays who will hear anybody preach so long as they can say, he is very clever, a fine preacher, a man of genius, a born orator. Is cleverness to make false doctrine palatable. Why, sirs, to me the ability of a man who preaches error is my sorrow rather than my admiration. So, so true. Moving into our last two verses, Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ. So remember, we've got the foundation of the ministry. We've got the reasons that we get those gifts to attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. And therefore, the Holy Spirit equips us. Remember, he equips us. He equips us through sound doctrine, through agreement in the faith, the unity of that faith. Remember, we spoke about that. But what happens now is when we when we know as the body of Christ, we've been taught properly, we understand the scriptures, we can go and speak the truth in love. We can go to a brother or a friend or a sister or a family member or whatever and say, look, let's reason, let's see why Jesus is who he says he is in these texts. That is speaking the truth in love. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 again, most important scripture you'll probably hear is, other than for God so loved the world, John 3.16, but it's that... All Scripture is breathed out by God. or other words, given in by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction. That's the most important. Ephesians 2, 19-22 Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Remember Ephesians 2, 1 talks about how we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ made us alive. By, his, by, by giving the Holy Spirit. It's exactly what the scripture is saying here. But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets. Remember we spoke about them earlier. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So what we're saying here is that all the gifts, all the ministry, all the knowledge, all the love, it's all for the glory of Jesus. It's all so that we can glorify Jesus, as Karen was praying earlier. Glorify Him in everything. That's where unity, that's where agreement comes in. We must understand that through solid food, in other words, the doctrines, the the sound doctrines and all those things, that... See, it's all for the Lord Jesus. Glorify Him. Um... That when we understand the doctrines of the Lord we'll all be able to stand together and understand that. Remember that by Him, for Him and through Him all things were made. That everything exists and consists because of Him. He created everything and He holds everything together. And that though and that sorry, that through Him we have a new life and life everlasting. From whom the whole body flows, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. In other words, the whole body is the church. Right? We're all knitted together. We all have, we all are a joint or an eye or a tendon or a whatever the case may be. 1 Corinthians 12, you can go read about the gifts there. Paul says, if you're an eye, you are good to be an eye. If you're an ear, we need the ear in the body. That's a serious paraphrase, but that's what Paul is saying. And so this is exactly what he's saying again. We're joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every party does its share. If you're here today, brothers and sisters, you believe in the Lord Jesus, you've given your life to Him. You're born again by the Spirit of God. Every part will do its share. What happens then? It causes growth of the body and it edifies itself in love. And that effectiveness for me is an efficiency and the foundation of the Great Commission. We've been given the Great Commission by the Lord Jesus Christ. Go therefore and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to te- teaching them to observe all the things that the Lord Jesus taught them, that was handed down to us. Mark sixteen fifteen as well. Go preach the gospel to every creature. The edification and equipping of the saints with sound teaching and faithful gospel proclamation will bring unity in the only true gospel, not the cults. Not the false religions, not these things, and the only true gospel, and will bring us the knowledge of the Son of God. That last word, love, just to show you, is the word agape. We A lot of us know that word is self-sacrificial love. we will love each other first, as the Lord has commanded. Love your brothers and sisters first, but then go out to those that are lost. And that's why I've paralleled this today with the days of Noah. We are in a dying world. There's people that do not know the Lord Jesus, and if we are truly given those gifts, I know that the Lord Jesus will work through every single one of us to go and preach and teach the true gospel. So I've summarized it for you in three points. Verses 11 and 13, or 11 to 13 rather, the born-again body of Christ has been equipped by the risen Lord Jesus. Point number 2, verse 14, remember about being tossed to and fro, being equipped by the King of Kings brings discernment and understanding. And lastly, verses 15 and 16 that we've just covered. Knowledge of the Son of God equips us in truth, edification, and love. Matthew 24, 37-39. But as the days of Noah were, remember I read this earlier, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming the Son of Man. Lastly, 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul again writing by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. So he's saying to the Thessalonians, you know already I've taught you these things. And I pray that that is implanted in us today as well. We've heard the things now. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, those are the body of Christ, but you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober for those who sleep. Sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. How amazing is that? And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. What is the hope of a dying world? Jesus Christ. For God not point us to wrath. In other words, those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reference being made here to the rapture. He did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as also you are doing. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy, who through my life has been my guide? If you are here today, and you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not in a relationship with the Lord Jesus, the... The, the gospel is so simple. It's that Christ died for each and every one of us. He died for our sins. He died so that we can have a relationship with Him. Remember, you and I in our unbelieving state cannot be reconciled to a holy God. There's no chance we can come into the presence of a holy God but by the blood of Jesus. If you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus, I recommend and I plead with you, please do so. Let's pray. Most gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we just thank You for this equipping ministry that we have, Lord. Thank you that each and every one of us has been given a gift. In total, Lord, you've given us about 22 or 23 gifts across the board for the body of Christ. Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians four, eleven, as we've just covered. All of those work together for the glory of your name. So Lord, we pray that you please be with us. Strengthen us as we go out, as we teach people that the world is coming to an end. That the end times are near. Those days of Noah, so are the same days now, Lord. Perilous times are going to come. And we pray that we can be that light, as the Lord Jesus told us, to be salt and light to a dying world. Lord, there's one way. you the only one that has ever said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but from you. No one else has ever made that claim, Lord. So we trust in you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. When we come, we will see you face to face. When you come, sorry, we will see you face to face. Be with us, bless us and protect us today, please, Lord. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Amen.